0: Welcome to the AWPT podcast, a safe space for personal trainers and coaches who want to learn, grow, and feel heard in the fitness industry. Each week, we'll bring you industry-relevant discussions on all things coaching, mindset, and professional development, empowering you with the tools to be a competent and confident coach. All righty. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the AWPT podcast. Today, I am joined by the incredible Danny Kennedy, who is an expert trainer and the head coach of the Keep It Cleaner app and an incredible trainer in and of his own right. He also has an incredible podcast, which he'll talk about shortly as well. But before we jump into the episode, I'd love for Danny to tell us a little bit about himself, who you are, what you do, what you love, and all of that in your own words.
1: Uh, Firstly, thanks so much for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Um, And yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing a bunch of stuff today, which hopefully adds some value to the audience. But a bit about myself, uh, I grew up in country Victoria, um, was always playing sports. So basketball and football, basketball was kind of my preferred sport. And that's what I was pursuing as a a career. Um, I found... I was always into my health and fitness, obviously, and and particularly running as an athlete. And then I stepped into the gym for the first time, probably at the age of around 15 or 16. Um, at the time, it was purely because I'd been told to and to put on some weight because I was super skinny. Um, but I loved cardio. I loved running and had never really had any interest in the gym. So stepped in there after the first month or so, I was absolutely hooked um, after the initial stages of, I really not enjoying it because it was just so different to running. But I fell in love with it pretty quickly and started to see the changes it had. It had for me in terms of obviously physically, but um, in particular mentally as well. I just found my confidence and self esteem and whatnot was improving drastically, and I found something that I could really put all my time and attention to and and knew that it required me to be super disciplined and to have that consistency in order to see the results, which is something that I feel like I'd always instilled anyway as an athlete. But obviously in a team sport, it it doesn't always come down to just the work that you're putting in. So mm. that's why I fell in love with it. I think um, I did my personal training qualification um, just separate to school while I was in year 12. I did that online more so as a bit of a backup for if I, if I didn't make it in basketball, but my headspace was literally just locked in on, on playing basketball. And that was, I didn't really have much of a backup plan other than having a, a PT qualification. So I finished school, moved to Melbourne for basketball full-time for a couple of years, eventually had a, an ankle reconstruction, which led to me starting my career in the fitness industry. And then that was 2014. And then since then, obviously things have evolved quite a bit and I've just Learned bits and pieces through a lot of trial and error, um, and, and that's kind of looked like obviously face to face personal training, which then led to online coaching um, at the end of 2016, and then starting the podcast, and then you know meeting the girls, and and helping them launch Kick in 2017, and then yeah, a lot just continued to evolve. As I said, like each each year, you just learn new things and see what works, what doesn't work, and keep moving in the direction of where where the good energy is. And then that's led us to today where yeah, I spend majority of my time, I uh, still do a decent amount of face-to-face sessions, but a lot of it is coaching through my app um, programming, as you said, for Keep It Cleaner. And then of course the podcast, which is something that I'm really enjoying. And then now starting to tap into a bit of the, the mindset side of things as well, which has been super fun. So that's a bit of a wrap up on me yeah, um, and brings us to where we are now.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. I always find it so interesting talking to coaches and learning about their history within fitness in the gym And because I think people come at it from so many different angles. Like there are people that have come from that sporting background and then Mm. have loved sport and fitness and exercise right from the beginning, Um, and then there are other people that have never really had a major interest in it and then something has happened in their life that has sort of made them fall into the industry. Mm. Um, but when you got started in the gym because they wanted you to improve your strength for for running and for basketball, was that with a coach or were you doing that sort of on your own? Or did you have, you know, programming built
1: for yeah, you? Yeah. I think um right at the start, I remember seeing a trainer which was just a, a gym instructor from the gym that I was at and got a program made up for me. But coming from as I mentioned, more of a cardio background. And I was quite obsessive with my fitness prior to that already, in terms of always understanding that the one thing that was in my control is how hard I could work in comparison to everyone else. So that's why I took the fitness side of it so seriously. And um, yeah, as I said, I remember I got a program at the time and um, stubbornly kind of looked at it and thought, fuck, there's no way. Sorry. I, sorry as well. Um, <laughs> there's no way that. I'm going to follow this program. Cause I remember at the time I looked at like the rep ranges and whatnot, and they were quite low. And obviously in my head, I thought if I'm not working at a really high heart rate and and training to failure, then I'm not going to see a result. So I just canned that program and just went out on my own pretty much. And in a way it was a really good thing because as I said, those first few years in particular, like probably the first four to five years, um, even all the way through till now, but especially early days, I was just obsessed. Like anything I I put my mind to, I would go all in. So when it came to the gym, I was like researching um, you know, different programs online. I was buying all the, the fitness and bodybuilding magazines. I was watching all the videos on YouTube. I would try everything. So it was a lot of trial and error with nutrition and training, but it was really just a matter of just getting bits and pieces from stuff I saw online or that I kind of spoke about with other people and trying what worked for me, what didn't, and to be honest, for the for those first few years, although you know I, I started training very regularly in the gym and um, and I was working really hard and seeing results, it wasn't until I'd moved down to Melbourne um, after year twelve and started to find some more reputable sources of information and and actually starting starting to learn from evidence-based training and nutritional methods where I started to see real results. So I'd been in the gym for probably two to three years by the time I moved to Melbourne and I was exact same height as I am now. And I was like 63 kilos. So I was definitely under eating. I was very obsessed with trying to be lean. Um, Again, still had, even though I'd stepped into that gym space and the strength training space, my mindset was still very much so around Obsessing and and training, like overtraining, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And then it was when I so through all that trial and error, I think that's why I mentioned that is because in the long run, it gave me a lot of benefit because it also it allowed me to really see where a lot of people are at now. And I can start to pick up, pick up on a lot of things that people are probably trying it, which in their, in their head, they think is is the right approach. But I now know, you know having gone through it myself, that there's yeah. much better ways to approach things. So as I started to find these reputable sources, that's when um, it almost came full circle. It came back to understanding that, you know, training in lower rep ranges and building muscle mass and <clears throat> not training to failure every time you go to the gym actually has a lot of benefit. And that's when I started to see results. So, you know, as I mentioned, I was like 63 kilos, after two to three years in the gym and, and felt like I was buddy Arnold Schwarzenegger, but <laughs> a few years down the track, like my, my regular body weight now sits at like 85 and yeah. I'm still pretty skinny and, and stay, stay lean. So, um, it was just all trial and error and a bunch yeah. of, um, a bunch of learning curves, but I'm really glad that that was the approach I took, as I said, because now I have a lot of experience and I can put myself in other people's shoes who are who are probably going through the same thing um, and help them on the right path
0: yeah and where do you think that sort of high achieving or discipline or sort of almost obsessive um, nature came from growing up do you, do you attribute it to sort of growing up with sport or do you think it was sort of innate in you before that um, and then it just like manifested itself when you had the extra sort of pressure of, of sporting and wanting to compete at a higher level?
1: yeah, Sport definitely played a massive role, obviously Um, just the competitiveness of it. And I was fortunate to play at a really high level of basketball and football, but basketball in particular. And although like when I look back at it now, the, in my mind, the number one reason why I had that, that mindset and the, the discipline and the determination and also the understanding that it required me to put in the work is because although I played at a high level of basketball, I, I missed out on so many opportunities. Like I was Mm -hmm. at a high level, but I was also um, at the bottom of the high level. So I would get cut from teams, I would miss selections. And Mm -hmm. over time it literally got to the point where, you know, most people around me were kind of like, if they were in my shoes, they would have given up or quit well Mm. before i even considered any of that stuff so for whatever reason i don't know why um yeah i was very fortunate as well to have and still do have great parents um and great support and stuff but they were also never pushy like if i woke up one day and said i don't want to play basketball anymore that'd be completely fine with it they they didn't really they weren't like that but as i said because i had so many failures early on and consistently like when I look at it now, I really just couldn't catch a break. Like there was from the from the age of maybe fourteen, all the way through to eighteen. Mm-hmm. As I said, I was fortunate to have like really good success, but in comparison to those that were at the same level as me and those that I was trying and the level I was trying to get to, I missed out on so many teams, got cut from so many teams, had so many failures that, in time, as I said, I don't know why, um, I just built this resilience to the point where. I was so determined and so set on achieving my goal that it didn't matter what, what happened, like what failure I had, what outcome I had along the way. Like I just thought it was part of the journey and I just knew that most people would stop at this point. If I just keep pushing, if I stay consistent and if I keep putting in the work then that's going to get me to where I want to be. And, you know, in time, I saw that play out in my favor with bits and pieces. Obviously there was still a lot of stuff that I didn't get to achieve that I wanted to, but, I knew that the only reason I was at the level that I was at is because of that work ethic. So I think once, you know, I moved here full-time for basketball, as I said, and started to have some good success, but it was still the same story. Like there were still bits and pieces where there are a lot of setbacks and it just didn't phase me. So once I stepped away from basketball, stepped into business, did a bunch of other um competitive stuff from that point. Um, it was just a mindset that was just instilled in me. And I've been able to carry that across to pretty much everything I've done, which is, which is an absolute blessing. So, you know, as the saying always goes, like everything happens for you, not to you. So Mm -hmm. all of these lessons that I took away from at the time, what felt like failure or setbacks were actually just lessons and stuff that needed to happen in order for me to, to take these lessons away. And having that understanding has then allowed me to go into absolutely everything i do with zero fear of failure or rejection or yeah. setbacks because, because I, I, it's happened so many times and I know that so much good can come from it. Now I just approach everything with a, an attitude of like, you know, the, yeah. there's no, like there is just no fear of rejection or failure anymore, which is, yeah. which is really cool. And it's, and it's something that I see a lot of people, struggle with like at the opposite end of the spectrum like they don't try their hand at something they want to do or they they take every setback as you know take it personally and then and then go off the path because they feel like if there's one setback there can't be success but as I said I've just learned that the more failures or more setbacks I have just is just leading me in a better path of of something better down the track
0: Yeah, I love that. It sounds like it's been a big lesson in sort of practicing resilience and Mm. sort of persistence as well, which, as you said, um, was obviously helpful at the time when it came to sort of navigating that sporting career, but then also is a lesson that you can take into every other area of your life and business in particular, but also from a coaching perspective, having those lessons For yourself is something that then you can impart on your clients and your audience um, whether that's you know the one-on-one PT but then also in the podcast so it's all sort of coming together to then benefit other people as much as it sort of benefit you as well Um, and so I suppose off the back of that something that we often talk about on the podcast is how as a coach often your ideal clients or the people that you end up coaching a some kind of amalgamation of like the person that you were when you first kind of entered the gym or sort of got into mm-hmm. the industry that's like a common theme that we see but i'd be interested to hear for you if you're coming from a sporting background was that the the side of the industry that you wanted to go into when you then started coaching full time or was it more coming from this background of as you said before, sort of over-exercising, under-eating and then sort of obsessing in the fitness space and wanting to help people from that end of the spectrum? Yeah,
1: yeah it's a good question. So when I decided to go all, all in with health and fitness, so prior to even starting in the fitness industry, I'd would i been accepted into exercise and sports science um, at Deakin, I think it was. And I'd deferred that for two years because i'd i gone full-time with basketball mm-hmm. and then when i made the decision to start in the fitness industry like i'd already been doing some gym instructor and gym floor stuff but it was just pretty crazy really and it was just also getting building on the skill of communication and being able to mm-hmm. talk to members and all that type of stuff but so my, my mindset was based around if I was going to go into the fitness industry, it would be to go and coach, uh, do it an S and C like strength and conditioning okay. for a professional sporting team. And then once I stepped into the fitness space, um, and went full-time with it, I realized quite quickly that that's not what I, what I wanted to do. Um, so I had a, a bunch of experience with running off seasons and stuff, uh, sporting teams in those first couple of years as a personal trainer. And although I I love it and I do enjoy it, it wasn't what I was most passionate about. I found that I much preferred to work with individuals or or people in really small groups who I could, like I feel like one of my strengths has always been being very customized to the client, to the, to the person I'm working with. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just giving them workout i wasn't just giving them nutritional approach i was actually giving them the tools in order for them to see the results and have an understanding so they took complete control so you know over time that that attracted a bunch of different clients like i've been very fortunate to work with a lot of professional athletes but in even within that regard it's like i prefer to work with an athlete one-on-one than in Mm -hmm. a team environment um and then obviously that evolves so i've always found that all the content i share is very vulnerable and and relatable so i just shit i pretty much just document my own journey so obviously in that regard you start to attract a lot of people who are potentially interested in what you're doing so yeah i've never really posted content for example to try and attract a specific client that has nothing really to do with my own journey so yeah in time, it's obviously been a lot of a lot of males who are wanting to build muscle mass and 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 follow a similar approach to what I have, but at the same time, I've I've put out a lot of content around all the struggles that I had with nutrition, and we're starting to under, switch my mindset from thinking that weights and and gym is going to make me big and bulky, which yeah was one of the biggest things that held me back at the start. And once I realised that that was just absurd, um, I obviously started to touch on a lot of that stuff. So with that. I still have a massive passion for working, as I said, with athletes or whatever who have a very specific goal around performance. But at the same time, a lot of the clientele I've attracted has been people who want to understand how to eat for long-term results and get rid of that stress and anxiety around food and and guessing their weight results. For people who who are starting to understand that strength training can be a very useful tool and should be something that, in my opinion, everyone should be doing. And with that, I had a lot of female clientele as a personal trainer um, and then through social media and stuff, depending on you know, some of the people I've worked with, obviously a lot of social proof comes from that. So I started mm-hmm. to attract to quite a large female audience. So something that I found a lot of joy in was teaching females how to do strength training and also showing yep. them the benefits of increasing lean muscle tissue and not being scared to eat more not being scared to lift weights. And and once I was able to start to get the buy-in from from female clients and I was starting to see results, as I said, I just documented a lot of stuff that myself and my clients were doing. So you started to attract more of that. Um, And that's something that I found a lot of joy in. So whether it's performance-based with an athlete or whether it's just teaching someone the stuff that took me a long time to learn and then getting to see firsthand the difference it makes on their life, but also their mentality and their... Enjoyment of training and nutrition is just something that I I get a lot of satisfaction from. Um, so that's the clientele that I've kind of continued to attract. Hopefully that answers the question.
0: Yeah, definitely. I love that. I think as coaches and personal trainers, especially when we work on a one-on-one capacity, you're able to see in sort of greater detail just, you know, just the amount of impact that you actually have on a mm. person. I mean, obviously you can see that too in any kind of like group training situation or if you're um, working with a team in a sporting situation, you can see sort of the group performance increasing. But there's definitely something really special about the one-on-one impact that you create and also the relationship and the depth of the relationship that you create with a client when you're working on a one-on-one basis. And I think especially when they're coming to you because you're being vulnerable enough to share your own story and talking about, you know, your own journey with fitness and your own journey with food and nutrition and all of that kind of stuff, they already have a degree of connection with you just through your social media. And then when you add the deeper layer of you then know them back and understand their history and their journey, then it just like really solidifies that bond as a coach, um, which is so cool.
1: I think that's yeah, hundred percent spot on. And as I mentioned, whether it be with my content or in person, I've always um, made a really big effort to remain very authentic. So um, obviously the clientele that you attract are, are people who, as you said, get to know you quite well. Um, and something that I take a lot of joy out of is, is then working with someone in person and then, you know, getting the the comments of like, you know, you're exactly the same yeah. online as you are in person and, you know, something that I get quite a lot from clients is, is almost the surprise of the fact that, um, I'm very normal, which I'm not saying is is too much of a weird thing, but like, I'm not online posting shit, like do this, this, and this, which is just unrealistic. And it's also stuff that I'm not doing. Like, Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll always share when there's stuff that I'm struggling with, or I'll go out and, and have drinks with my partner or friends or whatever. And and I won't be sitting here on the, you know a couple of days later on a Monday telling clients to do the exact opposite. It's like I want to make sure that people that come to work with me, like I'm as I said, I'm giving them the tools to take control of their results for the rest of their life, but also still have a life and be more relatable and sustainable. Because you know there are some pretty crazy approaches that you can take, and there's yeah. probably a time and place for for a lot of those. But for majority of people. And this is, I think this is why I then kind of push more to gen pop clients as well as because although I loved working with athletes, it's like maybe a few percent of my audience will be professional athletes or, yeah. or people who are going to be training like that. So in terms of impact, obviously you need to be more relatable and, and that's the kind of people that I try and reach with it.
0: Yeah. Amazing. No, I love that. Um, moving A little bit further down your coaching journey so you said you started doing the personal training in in 2014 full-time and then in 2016 you started working with Keep It Cleaner and and with Steph and Laura Um, and you're now so you were the first coach of Keep It Cleaner and you're now the head coach Um, can you talk about yeah your involvement in the creation and initial programming for the app and how that's changed
1: for your role now? For sure. Yeah. So I'd started doing some PT sessions with Laura at um, the end of 2016 or early 2017. And then she she just mentioned she was saying that her and Steph were looking at launching an app. Um, obviously, they'd had a lot of success with their eBooks and, um, and, and obviously their online content. And she just asked if I'd be happy to program for it and there'd be some filming and stuff. So I didn't really understand like what it was going to turn into, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I was obviously stoked to have the opportunity. And, and for me as well, because at that point I'd started working with a lot of females as well. Mm-hmm. I just thought this is an awesome opportunity to have more impact in a, in a demographic or an audience that most likely are going to be completely fresh to, strength training or to programming in general. So being able to instill good habits from day one um, and teach them properly and and have the amount of time through these videos and through the app to actually build their knowledge. So it's not just like a workout they've seen on Instagram and they just go and try it yeah. at home. It's like I have the opportunity to start fresh and and really instill some really good habits and and hopefully change a lot of people's lives with the girls. And obviously they have Um, and back then still did have a massive audience so it was a really good opportunity so 2017 uh, the first version of the app um, launched and yeah since then it's just evolved obviously a lot like I knew right from the start that it would do very well and obviously the girls have a very engaged audience and um, they're very relatable as well and very in touch with their community which is something that I really enjoyed and then you know second to that um, Steph and Laura uh, are just great people. And, and I've got along really well with both the girls from day one. So it was a working and friend relationship mm-hmm. that I was really grateful to have. And over the years, it's just progressed, obviously, massively. Um, the girls have just kind of continued to go from strength to strength in and out of the business. And obviously, their community and their audience have benefited a lot from it and, and responded really well. So Fast forward to today, obviously the the app and the deliverables of the app are quite different to what they once were, um, but in a really good way. Obviously they've brought on a lot of um, new people within the team. They've branched out to different areas of health and fitness within the app as well to help even more people. And there's obviously more choice and something they do really, really well is just listen to their audience and their community and and go off their feedback and what they want. And as I said, also stay very relatable so you know from the start i was i was the one programming everything and in terms of the workouts like the most of the workouts on the app that's still the case so just before we jumped on actually i've been writing some some new ones which i can't say too much about yet but um yeah they obviously have a bunch of other trainers that are part of the the app now as well but um yeah it's been really cool to just as I said, impact a different audience and a, and a demographic that probably aren't the ones that are going to be finding me from my usual content. Um, yeah. But at the same time, being able to be part of that community. And you know, when we go and do these, like the kick tour and stuff, when we do these live events or or whatever, it's just awesome to see the amount of people that are, are being impacted by the, the app and the content they're putting out. So it's just been really cool to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, and it's so cool hearing what you said before about how your your journey as a coach and sort of started to shift and you really enjoyed teaching people at the start of their fitness journey about the importance of strength training and resistance training. Mm. And even you know going back to your own journey of being like, oh, I don't want to do weights. They'll make me bulky. That's obviously a very common narrative, I think, for yeah. women in particular. And especially when you know, kick in the app first came out to in around that 2016, 2017 time, that was a really common narrative. And everyone was sort of pushing the, the HIIT workouts and the cardio and stuff like that. So finding a way to introduce a degree of strength training and resistance training in a way that was still sort of accessible and using the girls as amazing role models to sort of Mm. introduce that style of training sounds like it would have been a perfect fit for where you were at your journey as well as a coach
1: yeah for sure and it's interesting now like the feedback we get through the app is that people just want more strength workouts like obviously at the start you know even even with the girls Steph had done a bunch of of strength training already but laura hadn't done a great deal of it yet so even seeing their understanding of it over the years Mm. improve has been really cool but I remember we would have, I think it was predominantly hit sessions initially. It might have been like three hit sessions a week. And then there'd be one or two strength just kind of in between. And that was yeah. the first introduction. And now we literally have like full strength programs where some of the members of the app aren't doing any hit sessions at all. They might be doing minimal and majority yeah. of their training strength. And as I said, once you've got the trust of the audience, which obviously the girls do. Um, and then you have that buy-in and you can and you can show them firsthand what strength training can do to not only your your physique, like um physiologically, but mentally. And that's something that I probably take the most joy out of is seeing like the increase in confidence or seeing the the enjoyment of actually going and and trying to feel strong and and working on yourself and having that sense of achievement. And that carries across to all areas of life, which is as you touched on, it's the, the things that I got to experience, but now I get to share that with others. And I, to be honest, like I get the most joy in terms of face-to-face coaching or, or even online coaching, the most joy comes out of people who are like super fresh, like where you get to teach them right from the start. And you can start, you can literally see, like if I have a face-to-face client, particularly a female who's never done strength training or any like form of structured training before, you can genuinely see the difference over the first couple of months. Like the difference in you know their their energy levels when they come to training, the difference in their focus with their goals, their confidence in their body and all that type of stuff. And um, yeah, that's it's fun and it's rewarding because you know you're actually making a difference for someone else and as you and I both know like if you can take care of your physical and mental health Mm -hmm. it really just carries across to everything in your life productivity with work better relationships better you know the ability to set bigger goals for yourself because you have that self-belief so it's massive carryover effect
0: yeah no I love that I always say to my female clients like you can you know lift 100 kilo deadlift or 100 kilo hip thrust then you can stand in a meeting with your bosses and ask for a pay rise like if you're strong enough to do this then you're going to have the confidence to do that Mm. um which is so so cool and it's interesting that you said that you sort of started off with more of the hip style training as part of the initial programming and then when I was doing some of the research before this podcast interview I was looking at um like your socials and then also the kick socials and saw an ad for, well, not an ad, but just a teaser for one of the new programs coming out and all of the comments were like, please be another gym program. Like please Mm. be a fully, you know, strength equipment program. So it's, yeah, it's so clear that, and it's so often the case that as soon as you start drip feeding some of this strength training and they start to notice the changes and they start to feel confident and good. It's, it's often the way that that just takes off and, and everyone enjoys a bit of strength training once they realize how good it is.
1: <laughs> exactly right. And as I said before, once you've got that trust already, that's when people are more comfortable to try these things out. And then again, the fact that you have Steph and Laura both, um, mm-hmm. you know, the role models for the program and actually showing firsthand that the difference it's making for them and and being open and vulnerable and, and listening to their community is um, I think wh- one of the m- biggest reasons as to why Kik's been so successful.
0: Mm. And and you touched on it before, but given that the Kik app has such a large female demographic, mm-hmm. even when you initially started, but even today, what are some of the considerations that you make when programming for more of a female-oriented audience?
1: I think the obvious one is that majority, I uh, don't want to generalize, but majority of females would prefer to work on their lower body than mm-hmm. their upper body. Um, so I think with the programming, a lot of the the programming is based around lower body, but then we also try really hard to push the educational piece around the importance of training your upper body as well. And in terms of posture and in terms of strength and, and then that, that also comes with the understanding that you're not going to get big and bulky, right? So yeah once people start to see that that's not the case, then we actually have a lot of girls who really start to enjoy the upper body strength training as well. But they're, they're really like the, there's no in terms of like male and female. And and I'm sure you have a good understanding of this as well. Like with strength training in particular, there's not really a difference when it comes to um, how physiologically we respond in terms of rep ranges or, or movements stuff like that. It's all quite similar. It just depends on what the main focus is. So, as I said, a lot of the focus does go towards the lower body and the glutes and, and all that type of stuff as well. Um, but, and then just keeping the same rules that I would keep for anyone's programming. So, you know, trying to have more pulling movements than pushing and educating people around the importance of strengthening your posterior when everything we do is majority of the time without anterior. So there's some of the considerations that come in and then, trying to teach people around the actual programming to, you know, understanding what compound movements are and what isolation movements are understanding why it's so important to build up certain muscles in terms of your posture and your performance, particularly if some of the girls are doing some of the running sessions or the hit sessions mm-hmm. as well, because that's get even more buy-in there when not only physiologically, but I mean, in terms of appearance, but when you have people starting to notice that their running's getting better, or yeah. in their heat workouts, their energy output's so much better and they feel so much fitter, yeah, because they've been doing strength training. So it all just kind of just blends in and and is part of like I guess the the process of getting people to buy in, but then also seeing the results across a number of different areas.
0: And in and in terms of the the app and how you go about doing those sort of education pieces obviously when it comes to the programming with the lower body, like that's pretty sort of set in terms of you're putting in the exercises. Um, But when it comes to educating the audience about the importance of strength training for postural correction and for general strength and confidence and stuff like that, how do you sort of incorporate that into the program? Is that in the live workouts? Are you saying certain things or is it Mm. in the socials? How do you go about sort of educating the client?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, a bit of both, to be honest. So, as much as we can through socials, and whether it's through videos that we, you know, set out time uh, aside to record educational pieces, which we do a lot of, and share it either through the kick socials or through email list and blog mm-hmm. and all that type of stuff. Obviously, a lot of the kick audience s- starts to see a bunch of my socials as well, and yeah. something that I've always done, and have found really effective with every client I work with is um, try and give them as much of an understanding as possible as to what are movements for, like what the benefit of that movement is, what muscles are yeah. trying to target. I'm really big on exercise cues. So when we film like a masterclass, for example, with kick and it's a full workout and you know either Steph and I or Laura and I are both mic'd up, like the whole time, I'm not just kind of sitting there going, all right, we've got 10 reps of this and then just nice job. It's like, all right, throughout every exercise, every rep, I'm repeating these cues that I want the girls or the guys to think about, um, you know, why we're doing this movement, trying to give really simple um, cues that may not be like, directly about a muscle, for example, but like, for example, on a Romanian deadlift, it's like thinking about lifting your hips to the roof or with a chest press, thinking about trying to push your elbows towards each other, whatever it is, like very simple cues that I repeat a lot to the point where when they're on their own or every time they do this exercise, they have a really good understanding of what to think of because, you know, quality, I'm a massive um, advocate for quality in strength training and in all forms of training and again, that just comes down to making sure that they're getting the most out of every exercise, doing it correctly. So they're limiting or minimizing the risk of any injury or whatever, um, but actually feeling the muscles working because, you know, even to this yeah. day, you would see this a lot as well. Like I see people in the gym who have been, I've seen in the gym for years um, and you see very minimal changes physiologically or even within their strength. And it's it's just like, I see so many people make the effort to commit to training, but then mm-hmm. once it comes to the actual training, they're missing out on on so much of the results they could be seeing purely because of the fact that it's ticking it off. So yeah. I want to make sure each workout is effect, as effective as possible. And that also helps the girls or, or whoever is um, listening or watching the content to realize that you don't have to do, like you don't have to leave the gym every time feeling like you've just run a marathon. Like, yeah. You can have very effective workouts and make really, really good changes purely by just focusing on really good quality workouts and reps. And, you know, the way we do that, as I said, is just with a lot of cues and a lot of educational stuff around why we're doing it and what to really focus in on instead of just giving someone an exercise and sets and reps.
0: Yeah, 100%. Because I suppose then there's the two different approaches. Not only are you sort of physically telling them how to not just how to do things but why you're doing things and telling mm. them the benefit of of the programming and, and the why but then also with the the cues and just sort of the repetition around getting them to do things effectively they're going to feel it as much as you're telling them the benefit as well
1: mm. so and then the next like time they problem. go and do a Romanian deadlift and they know how it felt when they did it right they're going to yeah. know straight away when they're when they need to make some adjustments as well. So it it really all just comes down to, again, just giving them the tools to make sure that obviously, hopefully they continue to use us for accountability and for for educating as much as possible. But at the same time, my goal with every client or every person I work with is that after a really short or a relatively short period of time working with me, that they don't actually need me in order for them to, understand how to get their results now. Like I want to give yeah. them the tools because for a lot of people and for, with a lot of programs, it's literally just like follow this and you'll see results. But then when they don't follow that, they have no idea what to do Yeah. in order to and get And then they that. don't
0: get results. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly right. So I just think when it comes back to offering as much value as possible, that includes making sure that everyone understands how to do it for themselves, um, which is going to give them better results. And then it's also most likely going to get them to come back to you because you've been able to add so much value to them
0: 100 percent. i think too i mean you sort of have touched on it a little bit but you've talked about how um coaching in a group situation i suppose the benefit of the app is that people don't necessarily realize that it's a general kind of group program, it feels Mm -hmm. one-on-one because they've got you in in their ears or they've got you sort of on their screen. So it feels almost like that one-on-one coaching. But from, I suppose, like a programming perspective, how do you approach programming and coaching for that large gen pop audience on the app versus programming for your one-on-one clients?
1: Yeah, it becomes a little bit more difficult, but with Kik, we've always had a pretty big emphasis on, you know, progressions, regressions of every exercise, even throughout filming a workout. If I've got, mm-hmm. um, you know, let's say Steph doing a, uh, like a squat, for example, with a weight at the yeah. same time, while she's doing it, I might get her to do a few reps of like, all right, if someone doesn't have this or if they've got mm-hmm. an issue with their knee or whatever, here's a substitute replacement um, exercise or here's a modification. if you struggle with ankle mobility or whatever, like, Having a bunch of different things that they can progress or regress to, um, but other than that, it obviously it's hard. You're not customizing everyone's program, um, yeah. but I think just having those options of techniques to increase intensity if you're finding it too easy, regressions for people who who need, maybe need to take a step back. But we've just put a big emphasis on over time building out the the catalog of of workouts and content where you can start your journey now with kick and and you know obviously we have like the the kickstart program and then and the kick fit and, and all that stuff so you can come in with no experience whatsoever and there'll be a program that's really suitable to you and where you're at to build on the foundations and then once you're ready there's another level there for you to tap into and then another one again um, yeah. and then obviously more specific stuff which is why you know we filmed a bunch of masterclasses where there might be a a workout which is very glute focused so if you have got your option of doing your workouts that are on the the kick out but one day you feel like you want to target something in particular or you want to put more emphasis on something there's always the options there to do that so in time that obviously got a lot better whereas at the start it was probably a little bit more um generic i guess but um in time we've been able to add more to that
0: Yeah, and building out that catalogue, as you said, of of workouts. And then I suppose, too, if they're going through this whole journey um, where they're learning about form and exercises and sort of which exercises target what because you're in there and you're educating them, then they then have a better understanding of when they've come in with their own goals and want a little bit more of a specific kind of approach, they then know which masterclasses to find and how to sort of use your program to tailor a program for themselves as well, which is huge. Exactly.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um. So coming towards the end now, but um, how have you incorporated mindset and mentoring into your coaching? Um, and why would you say this has become increasingly important to you as a coach and a trainer? This is maybe what through your podcast, but also in your one-on-one coaching.
1: Mm. Well, I'd never really took. The mental side of things. Well, on one hand, I did take the mental side very seriously because I was getting a lot of lessons. And as I said, I built up this resilience and stuff, but in terms of mental health, I never really touched on any of that. I always relied on hard work, more hard work, consistency, push through whatever resistance was there. And then around 2017, I'd set the goal to, to meditate daily. And at the time it was literally like anywhere from three to 10 minutes, 10 yeah. minutes being the absolute maximum. And that felt like a lifetime, but I was ticking it <laughs> off every day. And, you know, I definitely did see a lot of benefit from that, but at the same time, it was really just scratching the surface. And then over the last probably four to five years, just it all kind of started with reading um, a book by Robin Sharma called the greatness guide, and then moving on to a bunch of of his other books and and other kind of personal development and self-improvement content um, just led me down the path of really starting to understand how I could better myself as a person in every way possible and not just looking at it from the physical perspective. Um, you know, that led to starting to understand breath work, um, you know, basic stuff like cold showers and and all this type of stuff as well. And then really evolving, particularly on the meditation side of things, particularly in the last year or two, to the point now where I meditate like for an hour every day Um, but it was pretty much everything that I, I share is literally just like a byproduct of stuff that I've gone through and and stuff mm-hmm. that I've been able to experience myself. And whether it's through conversations, like with the mindset stuff in particular, when I had free time, I would find myself watching or, or learning about stuff to do with personal development within the last kind of 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that would lead to having conversations with friends about certain things or sharing my experiences through stuff on social media or with clients like really starting to pick up on mindset shifts that could really help them or being able to read people's energy a lot better just which comes obviously when you're spending so much time with someone one-on-one um and just through these conversations I started to notice that you know I would at the set, as on one hand I'm obviously giving people a, a lot of value and and hopefully changing their lives through, giving them the tools to take care of their body physiologically, like with training and nutrition. And that's awesome. And you get to see so much impact. And I really love that. But I was also finding that once you've kind of given someone the tools, you're there for accountability and and for whatever else, but your level of impact is kind of minimized then because hopefully they continue to see change and improve their life. But you've kind of given them all you really can apart from accountability. Whereas I would have a whereas I would have a conversation with a friend or a client and there'd be like one sentence or one topic in our conversation, which would completely light them up or would change their whole perspective on everything. Or, or you know, in a week or a month's time, they would come back to me telling me that all these synchronicities that happened because they made this one shift. Um and, and for me, I was just like, you know, wow, like this is give this is the ability to have so much impact through sharing my mindset shifts or sharing things around whether it be law of attraction or, or manifesting or just discipline and, you know, daily non-negotiables in terms of setting yourself up for, for success. That impact was something that I really enjoyed. And obviously everything I've always done has been about impacting. So when I saw yeah. the level that I could have and reach more people in a much bigger way than just changing their body and, you know, getting, getting six pack abs or whatever it is. This, this can impact all area of their lives. So that's what led me down that path. Um, And just continuing to invest in myself and hiring my own mentors and trying to continually just become a better person and put myself in uncomfortable positions in order for myself to grow personally. Um, And again, just sharing those experiences. So whether it's through the podcast, whether it's, you know, now having the opportunity to to work with people one-on-one as a mentor and getting more opportunities now to to coach or, or mentor in a group environment. So, you know, even uh, working with a group at the moment of like young boys between like the age of 12 and typically between the age of 12 and 18, I think oh, are in yeah. this group. So, you know, after an hour call with these kids who I've been in their shoes and I'm hopefully able to then give them the tools that I wish I had at their age. It's really cool. And, you know, I got a a message from someone like two days ago, one of the boys in the program who's like, I think he's maybe 13 or 14, around that age. And, you know, he sent me this message talking about we had this mentoring session the other week around the law of vibration, which obviously the way you deliver this content to people from different ages has to change a lot but a topic that i wouldn't have even like linked at at the age yeah. of 13 or 14 getting <laughs> a message from this kid a week later telling me how much of an impact it's had on his week wow to me it just gives you this like incredible feeling um and that's something that i want to have more of so um yeah in terms of that it's just again just sharing my experiences hopefully adding more tools to the toolkit for some people and and having an impact in a different way, but then also trying to incorporate the two because obviously they play hand in hand, in my opinion, yeah. physical and mental health. So if I can start to find a way to to leverage off both and, and help people really tie it all together, I think there's um, opportunity for big impact.
0: I love that. And I suppose that's the beauty of having a personal brand and having um, sort of that Soul trader sort of business structure where you can evolve as a coach and as a person and as a brand, as you're learning and evolving and changing as a person as well, because as you're doing all of that, you're then able to share what it is you're learning. And mm. if your audience, which more likely than not already is sort of invested in you and your journey, they're going to want to receive all of that information just as much as, as you are as well. Mm. Um, which I suppose brings us to the end of the chat with this final question of how has your coaching style changed throughout your career? And sort of what would you most attribute those changes to? Because we've gone through a bit of your career history and it mm. it seems like it has sort of fluctuated, but remain consistent in this in this idea that as you're learning and growing and as you're changing as a person, you're just sharing what you're, what you're learning and people resonate with it, which is amazing.
1: Hmm. I think there's a few aspects of it that have remained very constant in the way of being relatable, being quite vulnerable um, and just documenting my journey. Parts that have changed a bit, Um, particularly early on, it was was almost like sharing stuff which I thought other people wanted. Mm Mm-hmm if that makes sense. So it was almost trying too hard to come up with stuff to create or to share. Whereas over time I've realized that, you know, if I'm going to work with someone, for example, I want to be able to really enjoy working with them and feed off their energy. So if I'm attracting a a client that doesn't necessarily resonate with me whatsoever, because I've put out certain pieces of content or whatever. And then when it Mm -hmm. comes to me adding value to them, I'm not offering them as much value as what they should receive because I'm just not aligned with what they want. I've really shifted from that. So again, it's just like everything I'm putting out is stuff that obviously I'm doing, but at the same time, the, it's almost like a boomerang effect. Like I'm putting out what I want to receive back in return type of thing. Um, And I think over time, obviously, my confidence in my coaching ability and also understanding the way that I deliver my value best. So playing into my strengths a lot more. So I think obviously podcasting has evolved a lot, but I absolutely love communicating that way. And then also teaching like clients as well, even with the mentoring stuff. Now, I'm starting to learn that it's like you you take all these... these lessons from stuff you've already done before, but then in a different lane. So I learned very early with in the health and fitness industry to to find to figure out what I really enjoy and what I'm good at. And then just stick to that and go really hard yeah. with that and not worry about missed opportunities in other areas because they're not aligned with what I want anyway. When it comes to the mentoring stuff, it is quite similar. So when I first started to push more content in the personal development space, I was like, all right, well, this is how this this is how most people are doing it. So I'm going to start yes. to put my content out in that way. But then I just, it wasn't like an energetic match. Yeah. So now I, you know, I know that I'm best. Um, I can add the most value when I'm coming from more of like a responder archetype. So like, whether it be a Q and A, whether it be receiving um, questions on socials and then responding to it via a podcast, whether it be mm-hmm a one-on-one call where I'm not coming into it with like a list of things I want to tick off. It's just like, let's just start talking and see what comes up and then I can respond best to that. So just playing into my strengths a lot more, getting rid of all kind of like worry or care about what everyone else is doing and just kind of do what I feel most comfortable with um, and the thing that I know works best. Um, Yeah, I think I've answered that question. I don't really know if I have, but (laughs) I think it just continues to evolve Based off your experiences, to be honest. And then then really leaning into your strengths and not playing too much into what you think you should be doing or what everyone else is doing. Just kind of follow what feels good for you. And because when you're doing that, the best parts of you come out then. So that's where you're going to be able to offer the most value. Yeah,
0: I love that. And I love what you said um, about how doing what you think that you should be doing or doing what you see other people doing or what you think that your Mm. client wants to hear, because often when we receive sort of business advice about sort of marketing towards your ideal client or and creating sort of an avatar for your ideal client and sort of figuring out, okay, well, what questions are they asking and how can I respond to that? But if that is not sort of inherently what you best know how to talk about or coach or educate on, if you're putting all of this stuff out there and then you're getting it back because it works but then if you're not interested in it or if you're not inherently able to provide value to mm. that kind of client just because you want it doesn't mean it's what's right for you and so as you said you're almost better off talking about the things that you know best or what you've experienced because then they're the clients that are going to come to you and then they're the clients that you're going to be able to provide the most impact for um, or two which is yeah such an interesting point.
1: Just, yeah, just on that point, just I'll add one more thing to that. So how that kind of plays out and this is how it played out for me recently. And this is when I got a really even even better understanding for it is, so when I was working with my mentor, um, I had, there was a certain program or a certain part of my coaching services that, you know, I'd been working on for some time and I was starting to get frustrated with the fact that it wasn't growing at the rate mm-hmm. that I thought it should in order for, you know, in terms of the off, the value that I was offering and maybe yeah. even like the price that it was, or whatever, I was like kind of confused as to why it was just stuck. And when I spoke with my mentor, she was like, the reason why it's not growing is because subconsciously you don't want it to. Yeah. yeah. So like you mentioned this before, it's like if you're pushing out this content, but you're also not that comfortable with coaching it or you're not yeah. aligned with it, then why would the universe send it back to you? So it's almost like you're pushing into this resistance and you're not getting the return because it's not the right match. Yeah. So that's when I really lent into more of the personal development stuff and incorporated it with my coaching is because I knew that that's what was really lighting me up. So in order for me to attract that back, then yeah. I've got to kind of follow where that, that energy is and not try and push against this resistance because I think I should be doing it or because I spent years building it up when it no longer serves me anymore it's time to just let it go and move on to the next thing
0: and that's the thing is that you know as we as individuals and coaches change and grow where our offerings are allowed to evolve with Mm. us and i think especially in the coaching industry especially in that one-on-one capacity people buy from people and people aren't stupid either. Like they know when something feels authentic and when you're talking about something that you're really passionate about and they know that it's really aligned with you and they're attracted to that. Whereas I think increasingly audiences are becoming more aware when you're just pushing something for the sake of it or because it's a trend in the industry. But then if they've been following you for ages and that's just sort of come out of nowhere, People can call bullshit where they see it.
1: Yeah. And so definitely. it's
0: they're not gonna buy from you if they don't think it's authentic.
1: Exactly right. And it comes back to the identity piece as well, which is what a lot of people struggle with, particularly mm. in the coaching space. As I said, if I've spent seven years building something up and, and consistently working on something, I have to let go of all the ego side of things. If I yeah. if I get to the point where I realize it's no longer serving me anymore, yeah, then then I'm there's no point in me continuing to just keep banging my head against the wall. It's it's all right to be able to let that go, even if it is part of like who you think you are. Yeah. It's it's just that understanding that coaching is something that I do. It's not who I am. Like it's just mm-hmm. I am not a coach. I am just someone who does coaching. So it's yeah. like if that changes, then it changes. It doesn't change who I am at all or or what's what I'm gonna attract in. It's literally just part of the evolution of of whatever stage you're at.
0: I know our founder of AWPT, Kayla, said the other day that when it comes to even just this idea of sort of imposter syndrome and sort of evolving in the industry and how lots of coaches are afraid to say things or experiment or try things in the beginning because they're scared of changing their mind or changing their position, whatnot, down the track. And then being wrong or called out because things have changed Hmm. and which then sort of leads to this idea of imposter syndrome of, of not wanting to say something because you're scared that you're not qualified enough or an expert enough to be able to deliver that kind of information. But I think as coaches and as business owners and as mentors, it's important to sort of come to a place where you can accept that you're always going to continue to grow and learn. And then if you're not second-guessing yourself and if things aren't changing, then that's almost a a bad thing. It just means you're being stagnant and you're not evolving. So Mm. stress less about changing your mind um, and then going back on things that you've said or done in the past and this idea of sort of sunk cost. and just be open to moving forward. And if things change, they change.
1: Yep, exactly right. And as you said before, people are attracted to you as a person, not necessarily because you give a certain service. Yeah. And at the same time, a really good way that I've found to eliminate any of that imposter syndrome stuff is it's like you're also with the way that you deliver the content. It's, It's for me anyway, it's always like, I'm not telling you that this is, what you should do or that this is the only way to do it or i know this for certain it's like hey i did this this is what i saw yeah take it or leave it yeah if you do that enough and you've got like all of a sudden you're you're having these good experiences or you're seeing this growth and people are just observing that then they're either going to be attracted to it or they're not going to be but if you're just pushing it then that's when people have because because i think that's what causes this imposter syndrome is that people are pushing this message that they're actually unsure of. So then mm-hmm. they almost feel like they're not authentic. Yeah. Whatever they're putting out is not authentic, which then leads to this imposter syndrome feeling. Whereas if I'm just like, hey, I've been meditating for an hour every day for the past month and this this is what I observed. Yeah. And that's it. It's like, I'm not telling you to do it or that yeah. this is right or this is wrong. I'm just telling you this is what I did and this is what happened.
0: Yeah. So take yeah. that and <laughs> do yeah. what you want with it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing. And I think that's a perfect place to end today's podcast. If um, which I'm sure they will, people enjoyed this conversation, where can they find you, listen to you, see you, all of that good stuff? <laughs>
1: um, the fitness and lifestyle podcast is probably the first one on either Apple or Spotify. Um, most mm-hmm. of the episodes are on YouTube or either my Instagram at DJKFitness or just my website. Um, I post Content quite regularly, either the podcast, a lot of stories, and then email lists. But yeah, any of those, any of those places would be fine. But um yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it, and hopefully the audience is taken something away from it and t- taking Definitely. some you.
0: Definitely, I think there's so much value in today's episode, and I will have all of your links in the show notes. But you otherwise, too. thank you so much for coming on today's episode on your public holiday, Easter Monday.
1: <laughs> thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of your day.
0: Thank you, you too. Thank you for listening to the AWPT podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and fellow coaches and subscribe for weekly episodes and content.